Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at KPOO.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. Deal with 
All right, beautiful people, I want to thank you for tuning in to KPOO San Francisco 89.5. You are listening to Prison Focus Radio. I'm your host, Nube Brown. We are in a fun drive. We are trying to raise $75,000 before we hit the end of the year, and we know that all of y'all coming together can make that happen. I know how much you love this radio station. Tell other people how much you love this radio station, because KPOO San Francisco 89.5 is the bomb. And I also want to give out a huge... um, Sentiment of gratitude to KPOO for allowing this hour here to speak specifically of the um, fact that we are living with slavery in 2022 and um, being able to hear the voices and the issues from um, our people directly from the inside. So thank you so much, KPOO San Francisco. Um, Again, make those donations. And we are going to continue our conversation with Joka Hashima Jinsai, but we are going to uh, spur off a little bit and talk to him about the campaign, the Amend the 13th campaign that he founded over 20 years ago, uh, especially in light of the fact that we just had four out of five states uh, vote to, had their voters vote to remove the slavery language from their state constitution. Again, California was not one of them. As a matter of fact, our governor said it was too expensive to end slavery in California. So uh, get ready. I hope that you will stay with us and uh, hear what's ahead. And we are going to go ahead and get started with Joka Hashima's Jinsai talking about the Amend the 13th campaign and the initiatives that came forward. Here we go. When I first conceived the men 13th, the hunger strikes hadn't even been conceived, though. Right. I, I, I was, I've been pushing this for a decade. As you know, I've been pushing men 13th, possibly the slavery in America movement for decades. Right, right. When did it start? I first conceived of men 13th, possibly the slavery in America movement in 2003 when I was in 4B3 right. That was the old, before they turned 4B1 left into the, the, the shoe within the shoe within the shoe, it was 4B3 right. It was called the high power unit. In Cork or shoot. Um, Jesus. 2003, did you say? Yes. And when I originally conceived of it. I'm just going to cut in here for a second because it might be difficult to hear Hashima say, Amend the 13th, abolish legal slavery in America. And when he says PISC, he's referring to the prison industrial slave complex. to unify 
that social force into one single movement and strike that elephant at one single point, you will cause disproportionate damage. They feel it. It twitch. It move. It run. It get out of the way. That was the that was the science behind the my original concept for men thirteenth largest legal slavery in America movement, and it had three primary uh, 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 focal points. The first was to remove the language, the legal basis for the dehumanization and exploitation of human bondage in America. Because a lot of people didn't realize slavery is still legal. It was never abolished, ever. They merely removed it from a social sphere which allowed them, uh, uh, it was primarily an economic social sphere, into a social control social social sphere. To, and it was, it was maintained, maintained some of the exact same language, some of the exact same dehumanizing uh, dynamics which you could find in the black codes and the slave codes back in the day. Um, if you look at the collateral consequences of a southern conviction in the United States of America, mm-hmm. you are not a citizen. You, you're not even a full human. You, you're like a second class human or, or a second class citizen. You, you other than that's why when you go fill out a job application, they got the little funny little boxes on there. And if you answer a certain question on job application, nine times ten, you ain't get that job. There are two hundred and seventy-four professional licenses in the state of California alone that you can't get if you if you're a felon or former felon. You have no uh, privacy rights if you're a former felon. They can search and seize you anytime they want to. Right, and your family that you're staying. I mean, and and, and family members and the house that you're staying in. Absolutely. And they ain't been never been penitentiary before, but you can be with your mama. They can kick your mama down anytime they want to. Um, I can go on and on and on. Exactly. But um, uh, these collateral consequences extend the uh, legalization of slavery beyond the prison walls. Because a lot of times people hear uh, 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 legal slavery in America, they, they in their minds, they conceive of compulsory prison labor. Dang, what are we talking about? a fraction of what we're talking about. Yes, compulsory prison labor is real. Yeah, you got to go to work or your ass get 115. Eventually, you get enough 115, you want it all. That's what it is. All right? So you got to work. But that's not what we're talking about. Let's say you get paroled tomorrow. If you get paroled tomorrow, you can't get public housing. Why? Because HUD prohibits felons from being housed inside their housing. So your housing options are immediately reduced, even though you fall within the economic, socioeconomic bracket that would benefit from subsidized housing or WIC. If you are a former felon, you don't get access to WIC, federal WIC. You might get, you might get it at the state level in certain states, but you ain't going to get federal assistance. Right. Can't get federal food assistance if you're a former felon. I could go on and on and on and on with the collateral consequences of legal slavery in America. Is this part of, is this also, is this what part of civil death is about? It's not just inside, but when you're outside too. Exactly. That's what I'm, specifically when I'm speaking about it, once you are released. Right. Once you're on the outside, it ain't stopped. Right. You don't have no privacy rights. They can can literally pull you over and search you anytime they want to. They ain't got to have no reason. Right. 
and that's another reason and that's and then that's of course part of the cycle of being able to get you back inside the recidivism exactly if you have a reduced number of employment opportunities if you have a reduced number of housing opportunities if you have little to no social safety net to ensure that you don't engage in the underground economy nine times in ten you are because you got to survive that's going to expose you once again to imprisonment because everything in the underground economy is illegal. Exactly. This is not by chance a happenstance. What people need to understand, this is, this is not, this is not a, 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 you know, some some social snafu. This is by design. It's and and that's the whole thing around it being legal, right? Because now, exactly. so um, can, will you talk about kind of like. This is also kind of the the psychological and the, um, uh, kind of the the psychological weapon against us and the, the, the claiming that narrative because when we think something is legal, we we have been conditioned to think then it's acceptable. And 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 to to expand further on that that idea that concept that legality equals correct right. acceptable or, or or somehow right in the United States of America is laughable. Yes. Slavery was legal in the United States of America. Lynching was legal in the United States of America. Wholesale genocide was legal in the United States of America. They had laws in the West where if you brought them a number of scalps Native people, they would pay you. If you encountered them, it was the law that you killed them like vermin. It was legal. It was the law. The law does not equate to right. The law has nothing to do with justice. Mm -mm. They are two completely different concepts. When you're talking about the United States of America, there are two opposing concepts. We have a definition for justice. You don't find it in the English Dictionary. You're going to find it with We define justice as the upholding of human rights transferred to a common power apex through mutual agreement of two people or two groups of people. Now, if you look at that definition for justice, first of all, upholding human rights, 90% of the laws that they pass in the United States of America have nothing to do with human rights. They have everything to do with property rights. Yeah. Property means more than people. In this particular society, it always has, probably always will until such times there's a victorious revolutionary change in this society. Two, probably more salient, it has to be a common power apex through a mutual agreement with two people or two groups of people. When the supreme law of the land, which governs every law in this country, was fashioned, we weren't considered people who considered property. There was no mutual agreement made between Africans in America and the United States on what would govern or what would law would consist of or what law would look like or what justice would look like. No. They made a unilateral decision. Now you, you, you're quote-unquote free and you're now citizens subject to our law. First of all, you ain't free us. Emancipation Proclamation was a joke, a lie, and a farce. We've never been free in this society. We live without justice on a daily basis. 
when I say we live without justice, I mean literally we live without justice. Right. We cannot ever get justice in a society where we were never considered equal. There could be no mutual agreement because they don't consider us mutual. This brought us to the second reason why Amendment 13 was originally developed is to abolish civil death laws which codify our second class citizenship if you are convicted of an offense. Meaning once you are released, once I done sat up in the penitentiary for 20, 10, 20, 30 years, why is it I get out and I can't get the same job as the next man if I got the requirements and I got the I got the job skills to do the job? Why I can't get the same housing as the next man? Why I can't get the same uh, political, social, cultural, and economic rights as the next man? Mm-hmm. I paid my debt to society. If you saying the purpose of law is equity, if that's what you're saying, you have this 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 lady that you. United States of America uh, utilizes the symbol of their law. She wear a blindfold, got scales, just balanced out. Right. But you and I both know that's a lie. She got one eye pulled up to see what color you is, and that scale is always imbalanced because money gonna always weigh more than people. Right. Justice cannot be achieved system where equality was never ever a rubric in their calculations it's impossible so that brought us to the third and most salient point of amendment 13 it is we have to strike at the origins of crime the origins of crime are economic social and political desperation it's people that want to eat and got enough to eat it's people that want to work, but ain't no jobs. It's people that want opportunities, but they borrow from them. Over and over again. We yeah. seek to develop a infrastructure that is independent of this state. One that provides you with sufficient work, education, training, political empowerment, and unity. We call it the aim. The aim came out of I mean, the 13th about the legal slavery in America movie. That was his origins. When I could sat in the cell and, and we chopped it up over the tier and I kicked it with my comrades and we came up with these concepts, it was out of minute 13. Because unlike a lot of different formations, unlike a lot of different organizations, we are solution-based. We always have been. Me and my brothers, we always think in terms of solution. We ain't gonna just sit and articulate the problem. Anybody can do that. If you are just... If you have a, a, a rudimentary grasp of social conditions and basic logic, you can articulate what's wrong, is historical ideology, how it came into being, but can you solve it? Can you end it? Our thoughts, our minds always bend toward the solution to the problem. If you look, in order to create or develop a lasting solution, you got to go to the root of the problem. A lot of times we analyze its superficiality and we stop right there. So, okay, let's let's change. Uh, uh, let's 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 remove the language "slave" from our legislation. But yet, you still have every last one of these civil death laws codified on your books. You can abolish slavery in your state constitution, all you want to. But if you don't also end the civil death laws that have 
their their reach, their power from the Thirteenth Amendment is window dressing. It's semantics. You're playing. You're not serious. You have some states who can't even take that step. For example, over the course of the last three months, you have five states remove the slavery clauses from their state constitution. But you have some significant states that are supposed to be progressives. They refuse to do so. You have some that's just overtly racist. They refuse to do so and told, told people why. If I'm not mistaken, at least one state in the South stated if they were to remove uh, uh, legal slavery from their state constitution, and stop using compulsory prison labor, if I'm right, I believe it's Georgia, it, they, uh, some local economies would collapse. Right. That definitely was the case in Arizona. Arizona, exactly. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. were so dependent on compulsory prison labor. Yeah. They were so dependent on the codification of the exploitation of human bondage that they couldn't remove it. Right. Because their economies have been so interwoven. Well, a state like California that's supposed to be mm-hmm. the, the trailblazer for, you know, social equality and, and liberalism in, 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 in conservative America, they was the first state to say, nah, we keep not slavery. Too expensive. You gotta ask why. The first thing that they stated was the economics of abolishing the slavery revision, the California Constitution, was unequal to its justice. It was unequal to the social benefit, which is a farce. There's no justification. There's no human rubric by which you can maintain a provision in your law whereby you codify the exploitation and subjugation of humans as a foundation for your for your economy in any, at any way, shape, or form. Here's why. In the state of California, unlike a lot of them states in Georgia, prison labor is utilized to defer the cost of running a prison, managing a prison. Prisoners cook the food. Prisoners pass out the food. Prisoners clean the chairs. Prisoners clean the yard. Prisoners do clerical jobs. You're talking about in the case of PIA, they are joint ventures with corporations where prisoners make glasses furniture, etc., etc., etc. You're talking about literally billions of dollars in labor costs. Right. That they can defer for pennies on the dollar. Now, if we take this outside of the prison context, particularly in the state of California, if we take this outside the prison context, you remember those 247 professional licenses I was telling you about mm-hmm. that you can't get if you were ex-felon? Yeah. Removing the slavery provision from the California State Constitution will open all 247 of those professions to former felons. Right. So it's not yeah. just symbolic. Right? It's not it's symbolic not to take symbolic. that language out. You're talking about a opening of opportunities particularly employment opportunities to a, a, a class of humans who previously had no access to that pool of opportunities. So let's just say for the sake of saying they did, I'll, I'll tell you one immediate effect it would have. Your recidivism rate would significantly drop. 
the reason the recidivism rate was significantly dropped because the employment rate within that cohort of people that live in this state, ex-felons, will rise. Right. Why? Because they have greater opportunity for employment. Exactly. When you have an increased opportunity, you're going to have an increase in people taking advantage of that opportunity. All right, beautiful people, we are going to take a quick musical break, but before we do, I want to let you know if you are just tuning in, you are listening to Prison Focus Radio here on KPOO San Francisco 89.5, and I'm your host, Nube Brown. I am in conversation with Joka Hishima Jinsai, and we are talking about the founding of the Amend the 13th campaign, Abolish Legal Slavery in America movement. We're going to, again, take a quick musical break with Bob Marley's... um, chant down, and then we're going to come back with Jokashima Jinsai continuing to speak about the Amend the 13th campaign, and I'm going to start with the mission statement. If you are just joining us, you are listening to Prison Focus Radio here on KPOO San Francisco 89.5. I'm your host, Nube Brown. I've been in conversation with Joka Hishima Jinsai. We are talking today about his uh, founding of the Amend the 13th 
campaign, Abolish Legal Slavery in America movement, and how that's relating to the um, the climate um, in this country now for abolishing uh, slavery in this country. Four out of five states brought slavery to their ballots, and um, Alabama, Tennessee, Vermont, and Oregon said yes. Uh, their voters said yes. We no longer want slavery in our state constitutions. This is a huge victory as we march on to um, abolishing legal slavery in America once and for all. All right, so I am going to read possibly just um, a segment uh, or first half excerpt of the mission statement uh, of the Amend the 13th Abolish Legal Slavery in America movement. And this is a suggestion by Joka Hashima Jinsai. Amend the 13th Abolish Legal Slavery in America Movement Mission Statement Preamble Section 1 of the 13th Amendment outlawed slavery and involuntary servitude except as punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted. Such an amendment amounted to an escape clause, a corrective loophole that left a form of slavery intact. In the very sentence abolishing slavery, provision had been made for its revival under another form and through the action of the U.S. courts. The 13th Amendment marked the discursive link between the civilly dead felon and the slave or social non-person. This amendment is essential to understanding how the burdens and disabilities that constituted the badges of slavery took powerful hold on the language of penal compulsion. Once the connection to prison and slaves had been made, slavery could resurface under other names. Colin Dyer. America is a slave state a nation whose wealth and prestige rests upon the subjugation and exploitation of other humans. The rationalization for slavery of any sort requires the enslavers to dehumanize the subjects of their domination, to deny or unmake their personhood as a legitimate expression of their idea of civilization. Dialectically, to a great extent, it also requires the enslaved to accept their dehumanization. In America, this process of transmuting people from humans into slaves is carried out through the rule of law. Slavery is legal in the United States. I don't mean it was legal, but it is legal and has always in one form or another been a cornerstone of the hierarchical structure of American society. That slavery remains legal in the U.S. in 2022, though disturbing, is not as shocking as the fact the vast majority of U.S. citizens don't know slavery remains legal. Perhaps the primary reason for this woeful ignorance lies in the process by which the social stigma the U.S. attaches to slaves has been transferred to those convicted of a felony. The same rationale which governed the ruling classes and states' perspective of the new African, native, and to a lesser extent Latinos and the poor, prior to the Emancipation Proclamation, governed it afterwards. In fashioning the basis for this next phase of, quote, legal oppression, the ruling class and its state, with Machiavellian calculation, embedded a pretext in which to preserve slavery in the very language of the constitutional amendment to abolish it. The 13th Amendment to the Constitution, the supreme law of the land, states, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States. 
unquote. Because the ruling class and the state controlled, and in many cases was the productive system and the judicial machinery of society, manufacturing laws and socioeconomic conditioning, which constantly exposed a particular population to criminal conviction or stigmatization based on those laws, was as simple as flipping a switch on the assembly lines of their factories. From 1862 to the present day, American criminology and legislative effect would be a series of refinements on this single theme. The systematic criminalization of new Africans, blacks, other oppressed nationalities, and the poor. Populations designated for exploitation or disposal by the U.S. from its inception. We charge genocide. That's not in here. Political opposition to the legal slavery provision of the 13th Amendment is not new among NARN adherents. NARN is um, New African Revolutionary Nationalist adherents. Comrade George, Comrade Katari, Comrade Jalil Muntakim, and many others have called for its abolition and organized toward that end, but none have yet to succeed in forging a structure and national movement solely dedicated to abolishing legal slavery in America and all the unequal social, political, and economic relationships enforced by its attendant statutes. This was written, I believe, back in um, like 2015. Um, Okay, development of the concept and strategy for the Amend the 13th Abolish Legal Slavery in America movement began, oh, here we go, in November 2013, following the close of the third hunger strike here in California after holding discussions and issuing statements with other think tank coordinators on the next logical step for our anti-prison industrial slave complex, the PISC struggle. Since that time... The centrality of the slavery provision of the 13th Amendment has gained a degree of social resonance with many like uh, uh, Free uh, free Alabama Movement, IWOC, New Underground Railroad Movement, and other free movements, um, etc., across the South, sounding the call to abolish legal slavery in America. And of course, Max Parthas was a part of that, um, but I don't think it was called um, abolition today. Um, The primary rationale for Amend the 13th is simple. There are thousands of dynamic progressive groups and activists engaging the system in disparate aspects of anti-PISC work, in effect waging the same struggle at many different points. Yet this beast is so big, so powerful, so ingrained in American social life that outside of mass social cooperation like that seen in the 2011-2013 California hunger strikes, it is able to ignore, absorb, or superficially reform away our individual attacks while keeping the heart of all of these contradictions protected under layers of constitutional legitimacy and conditioned public support. That line right there, or that phrase, conditioned public support. We must shake ourselves out of this conditioning. The heart of these contradictions, no matter what we, our organizations, or communities are fighting against, is the slavery provision of the 13th Amendment. You have heard me say time and time again, all roads lead to slavery. Okay. Amend the 13th seeks to unite and concentrate all our organizations and mobilize power to strike at this single point of legal hate and oppression repeatedly while simultaneously ensuring each of us can contribute to pursue our own individual social progress missions until the very basis of legal slavery is abolished completely. This means striking at the nexus of its oppressive rationale that slavery under any circumstance, even as a punishment for crime, is legal and legitimate under U.S. law, is fundamentally incorrect. 
Such a rationalization can only exist with the acceptance and participation of the American people, your acceptance and participation in slavery. Um, so that is like the first half. And um, so I just want to reiterate that four out of five states in this country, Alabama, Tennessee, Vermont, and Oregon have said, we do not want, not only do we not accept, we will no longer participate in slavery. Now, the first step, the first phase, well, the first phase is really recognizing that there is slavery. And then, yes, how important language is. And by getting it out of our state constitutions, heading for getting it out of our federal constitution as well, so we can no longer set the tone for slavery being legal in this country, um, has taken place. Like I said, four out of the five states. California was not one of those. Our um, Governor Newsom made it very clear that slavery is too expensive to abolish. All right, we're going to get back to um, Hashima, and he'll be talking about um, kind of the flow of energy that um, is taking place in the country right now. It's two social trends simultaneously. Okay. One is people understand on a fundamental level slavery is wrong, and they are reflecting that in how they vote in the pool that they send to their various state uh, uh, legislatures. And uh, that's progress. That's progress in the psychology of the mass psychology of U.S. fascism. This, this is why I structured the men in the 13th the way I did. Mm-hmm. If you look at history and you really study it, every time, especially in this country, United States, every time the people has asserted a genuine desire for freedom, two things that happen. One, immediate repression. That repression is not always taking the form of overt oppression. Oftentimes it's taking the form of reform. I know. Every time you say that, I'm still, oh, it just blows and my what mind. You gotta, what you got to understand about the United States is, and the current trends, especially as it comes to uh, imprisonment and, and uh, the legislation of new laws or the legislation, the legislating out of old laws is that since we demonstrated in the state of California that people power can affect change, you have seen a constant wave of it across this country. Look at what's happened in this country. Look at what's happened in this state. All the new and progressive laws which have swept over this nation started in the state of California with 33,000 dudes hunger striking. That's where it started. That was the catalyst. Prior to that, there was no notion of this. There was no discussion of this. There was no appetite for this. The reason why is the vast majority of the people were comfortably under the colonial psychosis. They were comfortably under the mass psychology of fascists. That's no longer the case. Right. People are more aware. And where awareness comes, comes knowledge. Where knowledge actually translates it into action, now you got a problem. Because people won't resist. Right, exactly. So resistance breeds two things from oppressive forces. It breeds greater repression and reform. Those are the two things that neither one of them are positive. In fact, greater repression may well serve a revolutionary more than reform does. Right, right. What reform does 
it removes the will of the people to fight. Because I didn't gave you a, a symbolic gesture. I didn't, I didn't gave you a cosmetic change in your social conditions, and you appeased, and you go back to sleep, and you go back to accepting your oppression, or even actively participating in it. But if I repress you more, you'll be like this mother and greater resistance work. You dig know what I'm saying? Right. So oftentimes repression even works in our favor. And it's why guys like me don't necessarily look upon repression with other people. Oh, uh, but uh as it relates to the current trend and the abolition of legal slavery in this country, we got progress going on, Jack. And that progress is a direct result of the work that's been done by brothers like Max Parthas, by like sisters like yourself, like uh, 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 like the Free Alabama movement. That's why it's going on, because people are beginning, beginning to truly understand, first of all, you got to understand, when you have an expansion, a rapid expansion in imprisonment of your own citizens, like you have seen in United States of America from 1970 the present day, um, you're talking about an over 800% increase in imprisonment. It's impacting people's lives that ain't in prison. You, you got people, the mamas and daddies and uncles and brothers and sisters and cousins and sons, lock up for books. Right. I'm just keeping them on it. Yeah, exactly. And, and in some instances, they got life sentences, meaning uh, they got to go to a board. They got to convince some people who don't want, who making money off them being locked up because every time they hold a board, they get paid. And while they analyzing the way to go to the board, they get paid. I'm talking about in the state of California, uh, a board member starting pays $88,000 a year. Of course, I ain't trying to let your ass go. So I can see you again in three or five or seven or ten. Exactly. I got to keep you safe. Exactly. (laughs) I got to maintain my job security. Yes. So, uh, it's one of the reasons why we uh, 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 have been discussing for decades. We've been pushing for this, but recently, uh, some of my brothers um, and myself uh, began pushing the institution restitution campaign and the campaign for community release boards. Okay, now thank um, you so much. I really wanted to go there because we only have like four minutes. Dr. Matulu Shakur has just been granted release. Okay, now, okay, finally, but he's like literally now free to die at home. Sundiata Kohli has come home. Please just kind of wrap this up with these uh, these campaigns, how they relate to our our political prisoners, and I want you to name you yourself as well the the California political prisoners um, who are highlighted in these these recent campaigns. Definitely. Uh, uh, the recent trend we've seen in, in the release of political and politicized prisoners in, in the United States of America is, is long coming. However, it's, it's long coming with the caveat that the trend has been when we are dying or almost dead, that's when they let us go and like a few weeks later we die. That's been the trend. We can't allow that to happen. And the reason why we can't allow that to happen, I believe a model example of success is to put a prison in the state of California. I'm talking about uh, brothers like Abdul Abbas Shakur, C. Tawanat Tambu Jamal, Conrad Sani, Conrad Ifuma, Conrad Mutope Daguma, Conrad Baridi, myself, Conrad Yafayu, Conrad Sundiata Juwansa. He's in prison in North Carolina. That's our brother. 
There are many more. These brothers, when I say they have given their lives for the people, I mean they have given their lives for the people. Uh, and if I missed anybody, uh, uh, I apologize to them uh, if I missed anybody. Uh, but um, Comrade Cambui, um, uh, uh, Comrade Zaharibu, Fatih. Uh, exactly. Comrade Fatih, of course. Of course. When you're talking about brothers, the brothers that I'm talking about. Yes. All of us are well over 50. Most of us in our 60s, some of us in our 70s. And in terms of the basis for parole in the state of California is that you pose no threat to public safety. First of all, the entire premise of strategic release and the strategic release campaign is that we not only don't pose no threat, that's off the dribble, of course not, but we would be an asset to any community. Yes. So we, what we seek to do is solve the problems that exist in our communities, utilizing the tools and initiatives that we have developed. Don't nobody know these problems better than we do because we've been here. We live these lifestyles. We know where we came from. We know where we're going. We know exactly what our communities need. We know how to implement it. Um, we will be an asset to any community. It's the reason why institutional restitution campaign, prestigious release campaign, community release boards are so vitally important, not just to us, more importantly to you. Right. Um, you have people governing when brothers like those I've just named come home who do not want these solutions implemented in your communities. Mm -hmm. They want your communities to continue to be the pool for the PISC where they can come pull out your uncles, your daddies, your mamas, your sons, your daughters, and put them in prison forever. They want to commoditize your children. They want that school, the poverty prison pipeline, to remain wide open. They know full well men like us, we're going to close it. We're going to close it at its source. They can't have that. That's the reason why they wait until we're dead or almost dying to talk about releasing us. And it's, and it's a hard truth, even though it's such a loving truth that you, that you present um, and yeah, and then all the forces that are that are against that, like you said, I mean, they're you're for life, and the system is for death. That's that's just the bottom line. All right, I am going to add in here an excerpted uh, segment of my conversation with Hashima, where he's talking about um, the work, the the experience that he and the other um, New African Revolutionary Nationalists were. Um, what they were doing, what they were experiencing um, during those decades of the torture of solitary confinement. Um, and I'm going to, so it's a little bit out of order, but I just wanted to introduce that and uh, add this in as we uh, wrap up our conversation today. don't mind me interrupting here. I've been really wanting you to talk about that because 
when you talk about how AIM came out of uh, Amend the 13th campaign, there was a, uh, a development of new man, new woman taking place with all of you inside. I can feel it almost bringing you to tears about what you and your brothers and sisters have done. Can you talk about that? Will you, can I interrupt you and have you talk about that? Years ago, I don't know if you remember, but I sent an article to the Bayview because people kept asking me the exact question that you asked me. Mm -hmm. What was it like? How did you all develop all this under these conditions of extreme repression? First of all, people need to understand this. There are no greater repressive conditions existing in the United States of America than the shooting. It's, it's prison within prison, and we're talking about uh, what they call validated shoot prisoners. It's the prison within prison within prison. Right. Okay. So I want you to imagine this. Go in your bathroom. That's where you live. You never leave it. When you leave it, you leave it in cuffs. Anywhere you go, you, you shackle, physically restrained and mechanical restraints until they get you to your location. You either keep them out of mechanical restraints or they put you in another cage. Like the yard. The yard was just a box. Either a dog cage, like a canine kennel cage, or a concrete box, like in Pelican Bay. All right, so... Your male, your male, oftentimes, you will never see it going or coming. They give you mail when they want to give it to you. It might take 20 or 30 days for you to get a letter if you get it. Oftentimes, the solutions that we have developed for community problems, because we sit and study at least 10 hours a day. We study everything doing that deals with the human condition. Every area of people's activity, we study. We study it for a reason, hopes of developing. First of all, you have to understand a problem if you seek to develop a solution for it. So understanding why our people are suffering the way they suffer is the first step to alleviating that suffering. That's what we did. We studied. At the same time, to maintain a degree, you are living in a sterile bathroom. That's what you live in. You live in a bathroom. Like the bathroom you got in your apartment. Mm-hmm. Just put like a little, you know, uh, a bed in there where your bathtub is. Right. I'm literally, when I'm sitting there right now, I'm literally a foot away from my toilet. Everything you do in life is inside that little bitty bathroom. Okay. Um, it's designed. They have a they have a, 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 a psychological program called Skinnerian Operant Conditioning. What Skinnerian Operant Conditioning is designed to do is teach what's called learned helplessness. It's, it's designed to peel away a layer of your mind to where you believe every aspect of your human your human life your 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 even down your bodily functions is dependent upon the state. You depend upon them for everything. So to resist this component, to resist this psychological component, what you have to do is you have to harden your mind. And you can harden your mind one or two ways. You can harden your mind negatively by by just, you know, like 
uh, adopting an almost permanently antagonistic position, or you can harden your mind with the truth. Meaning, if you know your enemy, you know yourself, you need not fear the outcome of 100 battles. So you study your enemy. You study his system. You study his history. You study your own. You study how you got to this position in life. Understand something. Everything that exists today came to existence through a process. We studied that process. We call that historical materialism. Historical materialism breeds solutions. If you apply the second tool, dialectical materialism, which is concrete analysis of concrete conditions, designed to produce truth, to get at what we know to be correct, real, not idealistic, concrete, stuff you can touch, taste, feel, see, or weigh. So, utilizing this uh, uh, psychological template, we approached our, our torture from an equally clinical perspective. You trying to break my mind, I'm not going to let you. And the way we resisted was serving our communities. That was the foundation for every last one of my brothers. I can't speak for nobody else. I can only speak for imprisoned you have revolution and that's what, what allowed me and my brothers to survive decades of torture, serving our people. Did you see that as uh, asserting your humanity? Did you put it in those, like, in through those terms? Because that's what I see. Look, I, I think George said it best. The greatest example of humanity is the revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Yes, of course we did. We have a, we have a, a, a positive objective. It's the, it's, the, it's the constant thing. Every aspect of, of our activities, ideas, writing, speaking is we understand without any reservation whatsoever that our revolutionary duty is not done until our will is complete and we shine the light of freedom, justice, and equality across the face of all mankind like a star in the night. That's what guides us. And because that's what guides us, at the root of everything we do, everything we do, at the root of everything we think, at the root of everything we say to the people, what you all will call humanity, what in this moment can we do? Here's one of the most revolutionary things. Anybody who listens to my voice right now can do. What you've heard here, share with somebody else. Awareness. People need to be aware of the truth because they're not. You still got millions of people in this country that don't know slavery still is. Our story. Share our story. Share our work. But more importantly, participate. Do something. We are living in a moment in history that if we don't do something fascism may be well win the day I love you so much thank you so much for giving me your time you're so appreciated love you more my sister peace and power okay peace and power all right everybody that is our show for the day or for the week and I encourage you to go to the California Prison Focus website at www.prisons.org. This is where Prison Focus Radio um, is born from. And I want you to check out their newsletter. You can read um, the early archives of, um, of articles from uh, Joka Hashima Jinsai, Abdul Ulubala Shakur, Satawanan Tambu Jama'a, um, 
and others. Uh, please check it out. If you don't know anything about the hunger strikes of 2011-2013, which culminated in 30,000 people participating uh, to end the torture of indefinite solitary confinement, please go there and visit that website and see what also the work that they are doing there at California Prison Focus along with Cage Universal and um, the, um, it, the director of California Prison Focus, Minister King X. Check out his YouTube page as well. Also go to the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspapers website at www.sfbayview.com and also read articles there. Uh, uh, I've just been thinking about uh, Za, Michael Durow. Um, many, many articles um, on the Community Release Board, Strategic Release, the Restitution Now, and um, the... Uh, the dialectical materialism, the the analysis around um, the the uh, capitalist imperialism that we are living under. Um, so please uh, continue to educate yourself as well as come to Prison Focus Radio every Thursday. And um, check out all the other wonderful programs here on KPOO, which reminds me to please make your donations to KPOO. You can do it easily by going online at to kpoo.com. Or you can send in your tax-free donation uh, by check or money order to KPOO PO Box 156650, San Francisco, California 94115. All right. And also go to Abolition Today and listen to uh, Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan speak about um, from the history to current around uh, slavery issues and the um, still slavery is legal in this country in way too many states. So, um, but check in with them. They are doing amazing work as well. And also the abolition, uh, abolish slavery national network. That's A-S-N-N dot org. Spirit of Mandela. Um, the, uh, of course, we just celebrated the year anniversary of We Charge Genocide and um, and so, uh, and we are continuing to sp- uh, spotlight our political prisoners and uh, making sure and highlighting the work that people are doing to make sure that they get home before um, this system tries to uh, kill them um, inside of, of prisons. So we send our flowers to Dr. Matulu Shakur, who's going to be coming home, and um, we give a shout out and free them all and free the land. Get ready for Work Week with Steve Seltzer.